This morning we read from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, verses 23 through 29. Jesus is speaking. Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine. It is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. Anyone who has tried to get a child ready for church has heard the question, asked or whined, or howled, why do we have to go? A mother of identical twin girls told me that one Sunday the struggle ended with everyone in tears and when the dad later walked in and said, why are the girls clothes in the trash can? The mother just answered, I don't wanna talk about it. <laughs> Confirmands, I'm willing to bet that each of you at some point has struggled with your parents about going to church. Honestly, I am betting that most of the people in this room and the ones worshiping with us on the radio or online at some point probably howled the question, why do we have to go to church? And yet here we all are. Isn't that interesting? Why do we have to go to church? A better question is not why or even whether we have to, but why we have it. Why do we have church at all? Well, we could look at 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about how each member is necessary to the body of Christ. Nobody can be the body all by themselves. We could look at the book of Acts and how the coming of the Holy Spirit drew thousands to join the disciples into church. But let's look back to the Gospels. And notice that the first thing Jesus did after his baptism was call disciples. After he called them, he didn't work with them as a scattered group of individuals. He drew them into community through nurture and education. So it seems really that Jesus' first step in ministry was to create a church. Now certainly the disciples needed nurture and education. Throughout the Gospels, they're portrayed as confused, even bumbling, trying to figure out what Jesus is talking about or what he's doing. Often we see that he gathers the disciples privately, sometimes in a house or over a meal, explaining a parable that has them mystified or an event that they're struggling to comprehend. In the Gospel of John, there's even a pattern for these interactions between Jesus and the disciples. First, Jesus performs some extraordinary act, like turning water into wine. You and I call that a miracle. John's Gospel calls it a sign. A sign is a revelation of the nature of Jesus and the truth 
of his proclamation. After Jesus performs a sign, then he interprets the sign for his disciples. Remember, they usually need help. Then Jesus will speak at greater length. John's Jesus talks way more than the Jesus in any other gospel. If you've got one of those red-letter Bibles, just flip through and you'll see the truth of that. Bible scholars call this a discourse. Jesus expands on the sign with a variety of images and themes. We might say he preaches on the sign. He opens it up for further examination. So that's the pattern. Offer a sign, interpret the sign, preach on the sign. Now today's passage comes from the Gospel of John, and it comes from the story of Jesus' last hours with his disciples. In this story, the pattern of sign, interpretation, and preaching is on display for the last and grandest time, but it is a long story. And today's text is just a little snippet of it, so let me give you some context. In the Gospel of John, on their last night together, Jesus and the disciples gather for supper, and Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now that is not a miracle, it's not like turning water into wine, but it is completely out of the ordinary for a teacher or a leader to so humble himself in front of his followers. So it is an extraordinary act. And so we may call it a sign. It is a revelation of who Jesus is. After performing the sign, Jesus interprets it for his disciples. It is an example of love that they must not only willingly receive. Remember, Peter didn't want it. Jesus said, you have to have this example of love. You have to receive it and you have to offer it to others. And then Jesus elaborates on that idea with a very long speech that is known as the farewell discourse. In this discourse, Jesus says that he's going away, that he'll provide a way for the disciples to follow, that they can show love for him by loving as he commands, that he will send the Holy Spirit to be with them, and that he prays for them to be one as he is one with the Father, among other themes. Now what if he had to do all this one disciple at a time? What if the disciples were not a community but 12 individuals who were each following Jesus in their own separate way, in their own separate home? Maybe they don't even know each other, let alone work together. Then Jesus would have had to go to each one's home for dinner, wash each one's feet, interpret the sign for that one, and then give the whole farewell discourse, which runs from the middle of chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17 in the Gospel of John. Twelve separate suppers alone would have taken almost two weeks. Jesus did not have that kind of time. Worse, if Jesus visited each disciple individually, then after he left, each of these individual disciples would be all alone in his own home wondering, what just happened? What was it Jesus said again? I wish someone had been here with me to hear it. Then I would have had someone else's memory to draw on and someone else's thoughts to help me process. I wish I had someone to talk to about what Jesus said. Well, instead of that kind of isolation, the sign and the interpretation and the discourse happen in the community where the disciples are together. Except for Judas Iscariot, Judas gets his feet washed, but then he leaves before the speech begins. 
All of the disciples are present for the whole thing. And thank God for that. I mean, literally, thank God. Because the disciples are entering at this point a time of great transition. And in times of transition, that's when people really need their community more than ever. Remember, Jesus is going away. He tells the disciples not to let their hearts be troubled. But of course their hearts are troubled. But as they listen to the farewell discourse, they may hear the many ways not only that Jesus will help them, but how they can help each other. First, when you are going through a transition, it is really helpful to know who you are. So Jesus tells the disciples how they can gain an identity. Who are the followers of Jesus? They are the ones who love as Jesus loved. That's their identity. Now, Jesus doesn't take each disciple aside in private and explain this. He tells them together because that way, if anyone forgets, the others will be there to help him remember. The best way to forge their identity is also the best way to maintain their identity by being together. Together, also, they are a community of prayer and conversation. Together, in the days that follow, the disciples will be able to pray together about Jesus' words, and they can talk about Jesus' words, and they can ask, what do you think? And what do you hear? Surely they'll ask these questions over and over, turning Jesus' words over in conversation. Some of those conversations will be challenging. Some of those conversations will be comforting. All of it will be necessary. Being in a community of prayer and conversation creates something else that helps in a time of transition, which is a space of shared understanding where people can make meaning together. The things that happen in life, the hard things and the good things and the in-between things, what do they mean? Do they all add up to something? What is expected of each of us? And is there a larger pattern to it all? Unless you prefer to believe that life is just a series of meaningless events, you will try to make meaning out of what happens to you. Meaning-making is especially important in transitions because they are times of uncertainty and change. What did Jesus give the disciples in community that they could not have had individually? A common identity as those who love, a shared understanding out of which to make meaning. And to these powerful tools of community, the pres let us add the presence of Christ, which Jesus promised to the disciples through the Holy Spirit, the advocate whom the Father will send in my name. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would teach the disciples everything and remind them of all that Jesus had said to them. And while we know that individual believers may have an experience of the Holy Spirit, the stories in the book of Acts certainly show how powerful the Spirit is in the midst of community. Having church gives us the opportunity to strengthen our identity as those who love as Jesus loved. Having church gives us a shared understanding for making meaning of our lives. Having church creates the space in which not just scattered individuals, but the whole body of Christ can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the disciples would go into the future together as believers. They knew this would happen because Jesus told them so.
Here are Jesus' last words from today's text. I have told you all this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen so that when it did happen, they would believe he was who he said he was. That promise of belief was a promise that faith was in their future. Weren't they fortunate to have church to live out that faith? Aren't we fortunate as well? Change is always happening. But there are times in life when we specifically recognize transition. Adolescence, for example, is an acknowledged transition from childhood to maturity. And for that reason, it's a traditional time for churches to offer confirmation. Confirmands, listen up. Because you have chosen to become full members of the church, you will not have to go through this transition alone. You have each other. You have your families and all the members who surround you. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you have the assurance that your faith in Christ will be present in your future. You have this community's prayers and conversation. And I hope that we have yours as well because we all need each other. The fact is, you confirmands are not the only one in transition. Since the lights went out in March 2020, just about everything is in transition. Health, economics, politics, church. Church for sure. We have not been through a transition. We are in a transition now to whatever church is going to look like next. Fortunately, as disciples who gather to hear the words of Jesus, we already have so much that will help us. We have an identity. We're the community that loves as Jesus loved. We have the capacity to make meaning. We have the shared heart space where the Holy Spirit can do powerful work in our midst. And we have the faith that when the future is upon us, Christ is present in all the ways Christ promised. In other words, whatever it looks like in the future, we already have church. We don't have to work it all out as scattered individuals. We can live in community and live our faith in community with Jesus as our center. Do we have to live that way? Let's just say, aren't we glad we can? Now this is the point where I planned I would say amen. But something happened yesterday when I was finishing up. I'm using dictation software because of what happened to me. I'm using dictation software to write some of my sermons these days. And when I said amen into my microphone, the computer typed something else. And when I saw it, I laughed out loud. And then I decided it was just too good not to share. It made me wonder, does Jesus live in my computer? So I'm going to read my last lines again. And instead of amen, I'm going to end with the actual words my computer gave me. True story. We can live our faith in community with Jesus as our center. Do we have to live that way? Let's just say, aren't we glad we can? I'm in.